So the big news story this morning, they pulled a teenager out of the rubble after that earthquake, uh, that huge earthquake in Turkey. It was like 96 hours after he was buried in the rubble, he was pulled out alive. It's an amazing story. And yet the only thing that people can talk about is that apparently he said he drank his own urine to survive. (laughs) Really? Do we really need to know that? I mean... I mean, honestly, can we just leave that part out? Can we just be happy that they've (laughs) pulled him out alive? Do we need to know? That is the very definition of TMI. Good morning, I'm Chris Oaks. And coming up today, this week's massive train derailment in eastern Ohio raises the question, how does a community prepare for something like that? Through programs like the University of Findlay's Emergency and Disaster Management Certification and All Hazards Training Center. That's how we'll learn more. Also this morning, Turning the Tables, the 4-H Tech Changemaker Program has teenagers teaching adults about 21st century digital technology skills. And both sides are getting more out of it than you may think. Finley High School Assistant Coach Ray Elbin previews the Trojans' weekend games against St. Francis and Tiffin Columbian. And we have recipes for your Super Bowl party from Kyra's Kitchen. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Friday, February 10th, 2023. You know, we've been uh, talking about this in the uh, in the news off and on over the past, well, several months. Uh, the price of eggs uh, being so sky high. This is kind of interesting. A, a new report. And I saw this at CNN uh, with the price of eggs so being so expensive now, egg substitutes are gaining the attention of some price-conscious buyers. The makers of plant-based eggs, you know, the vegan substitutes, uh, Just Egg and Zero Egg, are seeing increased sales in January. It's not that more people are going vegan, they just can't afford eggs. And it's getting to the point, this is how expensive eggs are, that the egg that the fake eggs are cheaper than the real thing. Because you think about the, you know, plant-based alternatives generally are higher priced, but not the case anymore with uh, with the uh, eggs. Uh, Let's see here. Zero egg, which is available only to restaurants, is made with chickpeas, potatoes, peas, and soy. Just egg, which is is the uh, retail version or the retail uh, product, contains mung beans and canola oil. Um, So, anyway, if you're interested, the uh, fake eggs uh, are uh, now uh, picking up sales... Uh, because of the uh, price of egg. And we said this, uh, we had the story uh, a couple of uh, weeks ago, the price of eggs being so high. Many people are going to extreme measures to find cheaper eggs, even smuggling them in from across the southern border. They're coming in from Mexico. And Border Patrol has had to step up their enforcement <laughs> of of their uh, their egg patrol, um, the San Ysidro crossing between San Diego and Tijuana, hundreds and hundreds of eggs are just sitting behind closed doors because it's illegal to bring eggs in from Mexico, and uh, they say all of the eggs, again hundreds and hundreds of eggs that they have just sitting there, going bad, rotting, they will all be destroyed according to the chief agricultural specialist for the U.S. Customs and Border Patrol. And here's what's ironic about that. People are trying to smuggle them in from Mexico, but the primary reason why the eggs are not allowed to be brought in and will be destroyed is because they can potentially carry bird flu, which is the main reason why we have such a shortage of eggs in the first place. Uh, so that's what's causing the whole problem to begin with. So we're actually uh, potentially exacerbating the problem by smuggling in eggs from across the border. I just thought that was, uh, kind of interesting. So uh, this is, I guess we can call this Valentine's weekend. Is this Valentine's weekend for you? Um, Valentine's Day isn't until, what, Tuesday. 
So it falls in the middle of the week, and I know a lot of times we like to do date nights on the weekend. So is it this weekend or next weekend you do Valentine's Day? I know this weekend's the Super Bowl, so that complicates things. But maybe Saturday you can you know take the time for you and your sweetie, and then Sunday you have uh, for the uh, for the game. So if you're doing Valentine's uh, this weekend, this is something to keep in mind. Research from the University of Vienna has found that those dating apps that people use to connect with a potential romantic partner, those dating apps might do more harm than good. 464 young people who are users of dating apps were asked about their habits on those apps, and excessive swiping was linked to increased self-doubt and fear of being single. The number of available potential partners can also be overwhelming. They say using dating apps can lead to addictive behavior as well, as the algorithm might favor frequent users. Moderate users don't seem to suffer from these negative side effects. So I guess it's like everything. Use in moderation. But it's easy to get wrapped up in it, then you become addicted, and it becomes... This negative snowball. Excessive swipers reported to be more overwhelmed by the abundant number of seemingly available partners on dating apps than moderate swipers. So just something to keep in mind. According to the authors of this study, uh, the University uh, of uh, Vienna. If, however, you are past the initial meet and greet or initial dating stage... If you have are ready to take your relationship, if you're in a committed relationship, you're ready to take it to the next level. Cracker Barrel has an offer for you. You hear about this? Cracker Barrel will give a free year of meals to five couples who pop the question at one of their locations and post the big moment online. <laughs> Yes, it is a big marketing ploy. But if you're willing to make the most important question you will ever ask the love of your life, if you're willing to turn that into a promotional tool for a restaurant chain, you could get a year's worth of free meals. Is that a a, uh, fair trade? (laughs) You decide. If you are interested, it says to qualify, couples must post the video of the proposal at a Cracker Barrel location. Couples must post the video between today and February 16th using the hashtag I said yes at Cracker Barrel. <laughs> you can learn more about the I said yes at Cracker Barrel promotion on their official website at crackerbarrel.com. So, I don't know. Are you ready to turn that tender, very special, once in a lifetime moment into a promotional vehicle for Cracker Barrel? For a free meal, for a free, yeah, year's worth of free meals? I don't know. You know, what is the tipping point where it'd be worth it for you? So, there you go. Uh, And, of course, as we mentioned, the Super Bowl is this weekend. So, I've been hype uh, all week, uh, the past couple of weeks, but especially this past week for the uh, big game on Sunday. And for the first time ever, the military flyover at the start of the Super Bowl will have an all-female team, all-female pilots. The historic female flyover will be in honor of 50 years of women in U.S. naval aviation. The first female aviators were accepted into the Navy in 1973. The Arizona Republic says that all the pilots in Sunday's flyover are well-practiced in flying in formation and will fly over State Farm Stadium during the singing of the National Anthem. So we won't be able to see them, but as they are flying over, know that they are all female pilots. So that's pretty cool. And here is some important advice for you. If you are having a Super Bowl party this weekend, better make sure that your snacks are well stocked because a new survey finds that nearly half of Americans believe running out of snacks would be worse than their favorite team losing the big game. It'd be even worse to run out of snacks. Now, it should be pointed out that this survey of 2,000 Americans was commissioned by Frito-Lay, so 
that might have something to do with it. But nearly half of Americans believe that running out of snacks is worse than the team you're cheering for losing the game. Um, and this is kind of interesting, too, uh, from the survey. If you are going to a Super Bowl party, it is not out of the realm of possibility that there might be someone there at the party that you don't know going in. You know, friend of a friend kind of thing, but you don't know them. 59% of those in the survey say they managed to break the ice with people they don't know by bonding over their snack preferences. So you can use that as a uh, point of, uh, as a talking point to break the ice with someone. Uh, Poll also looked into what type of stuff we like to eat while we're watching the big games. 71% say they are into trying something new this year. So uh, get creative with your snacks. But whatever you serve, get the party started early while kickoff for the Super Bowl will not be until 6.30 on Sunday evening. Nearly 25%, nearly one in four of those in the poll say that a Super Bowl party should start at lunchtime or earlier. Lunchtime or earlier. So, it is an all-day party. So, there you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Friday morning started. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather. Mostly cloudy today, a slight chance of a shower, high of 39. Decreasing clouds tonight, a low of 25. Finley Mayor Christina Mern is excited about the proposed downtown recreation area, which will be part of the Phase 2 benching project north of the Blanchard River and east of Main Street. I think this project is potentially transformational. It is a significant investment in a large area of our downtown. It creates um, a new hub for people to have recreational opportunities. I think that that investment is very wise and will eventually pay dividends. The mayor says the cost of the project could end up being around 25 to $30 million, depending on how many things they include in the final design, such as playgrounds, a new pedestrian bridge, walking and biking paths, and even an amphitheater. Get more of our conversation with the mayor about the project and see some designs on our website. Many of the residents of East Palestine and Eastern Ohio are leery, even though the all-clear has been given for them to return home following the fiery train derailment and chemical spill that kept them away for days. Residents we talked to were in agreement. It's not safe to go home. There's a lot of unanswered questions that I think everybody wants answered. Me being pregnant is, you know, how is that going to affect the baby? I just think people need to stay out of town for, you know, what we know for now probably wouldn't be in anybody's best interest to be breathing any of this stuff in. Even though the EPA has boots on the ground, it's what lingers in the air, in their homes, in the water, that has most worry. ONN's Lydia Aspara reporting. The Ohio Attorney General's Office and Dollar General have reached an agreement over allegations of deceptive pricing. The stipulated order reached this week in Butler County Common Pleas Court outlines terms and conditions that Dollar General must implement. District managers are also required to conduct regular price checks. Kate Burdett, ONN News. With the Super Bowl this weekend, the Hancock County Sheriff's Office is reminding football fans that fans don't let fans drive drunk, so make sure you plan for a designated driver. And if you are planning on being that designated driver, know that you're the night's MVP and commit to a sober evening because people are relying on you. Remember, you can always get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. So it made national headlines this week, that massive train derailment in eastern Ohio, and it kind of raises the question, how does a community prepare for something like that? Well, as it happens, here locally, we have just such a resource. It is the University of Findlay's Emergency and Disaster Management Certification and All Hazards Training Center. And uh, joining us this morning is uh, Dr. Kim uh, Lichveld, uh, Associate Professor and Chair of Environmental Safety and Occupational Health Management. That is quite a mouthful, and thank you very much for being with us. Thank uh, you for having me. Appreciate it. Um, you know, it, it's kind of uh, uh, of interesting, um, a point that was made uh, in the discussion of this uh, huge train derailment. This thing was huge. Um, that there is, and I guess I never really thought about this, 
there is not a, a populated area in this country that doesn't have the potential for something like this happening. Because you think about, you know, these were have historically been key uh, routes uh, of trade uh, that popped up and developed during the Industrial Revolution, and towns and cities grew from that. And so basically every populated area in America is crisscrossed by railroad tracks. You've got a, an opportunity for something like this. Absolutely. And we are so lucky at the university to be coupled with the All Hazards Training Center because our students do get access to this training. You know, they get to learn about how to deal with train derailments. They get to learn about how to become incident commanders, confined space. And so through the program, through the Environmental Safety and Occupational Health Program, they get all of that. And so not only do they get the safety side and kind of the understanding of if they actually come encounter with something like this, how do they deal with that? And mm -hmm. how do they deal with that calmly? Because, of course, it's catastrophic, right? right. Um, you know, and that, and that is we're so lucky and we're so unique to have that partnership. And this happens more often than what people realize, uh, train derailments, maybe not on this scale. But I think there was a story uh, in the news just yesterday. There was another uh, derailment uh, in the Los Angeles area. So this actually is more common than people realize? Yeah. Oh, I, I don't know if it's more common, but I think that what what it's what's important to know is that there are trainings out there, whether it's coming from here at the University of Finley and All Hazards Training Center, or if it's from the local disaster preparedness areas, that they are ready and equipped to mm -hmm. deal with these issues. How do how do you train for something like that? I mean, you know, I, I think of like a uh, it's one thing to simulate a major traffic accident or even an active shooter situation or. Uh, firefighters, I know, sometimes will deliberately set controlled burns to buildings that are slated for demolition anyway to train. Can't really derail a train just for, or can you? I don't know. Well, so it's kind of funny you say that. So at, at the center, at the All Hazards Training Center, they actually have a train derailment set up. So they will actually simulate what happened. What does it look like? They will simulate, they'll put placards up to say, hey, this is vinyl chloride. How would you handle this situation based on this chemical compound? How would you assess it? How would you go in it? How would you mitigate it? Determine what are the environmental impacts into the ground, water, and air. And, and really just kind of take command of that situation. So they actually have train cars that they take across the nation to do these types of simulations. I think in a couple of weeks, they actually had already planned to meet with East Palestine anyway. So it's hmm, pretty neat. Interesting. Um, and, and is that really the, the biggest uh, hazard? I mean, we think of uh, train derailments. I mean, obviously, there is the danger of the train cars going places they shouldn't be going, maybe in populated areas. Um, but the a lot of times it's the what they're carrying, leaking out, getting into the air, that kind of thing. So I think if we think about train cars as they are, they are made to be safe, right? Otherwise, we would not have been doing this for so long. So Obviously, they're going yeah. back and forth across the country. And they have special release valves that allow them that to, you know, if something happens, that it holds in. But in this case, it was such a catastrophic failure and derailment that, it started, and in this case, could blow up. So how do they deal with that? And that was part of just doing that control burn. Mm -hmm. um, do Is this something that, that uh, like we said, every populated area in the country has this risk to a certain extent or another because there are train tracks everywhere? Mm -hmm. Uh, how often is this uh, on the front of people's radar screen? I don't I mean, think it is because even if we talk to our students, they're like, you know, we, I don't think it's on the forefront of everybody's minds because we kind of just see the trains coming and going. But mm -hmm. I, I definitely think for those who are first responders, those who live in major crossing areas, that is something that they're trained to do and they train often. So is uh, so have you since this train derailment, mm -hmm. and again, this made national headlines yep. uh, because it was so big and because of the, the resulting fire and the environmental impact and all of that. Do you see an uptick of, of people who are interested in learning more and getting some of this training uh, after an, an incident like this? Absolutely. I definitely think so. And we actually bring that into our classroom. So we bring this as a case study to our students because 
when you bring a real world topic like this, it helps them understand and connect what they're learning in the classroom and how they're going to use that out in the real world. Sometimes we get those emails like, I really wish I should have listened, you know, to that class. And, <laughs> you know, yesterday we were talking in class and like, oh, now I understand why chemistry is so important for our major, mm -hmm. because now we're able to understand what is the chemical compound? How does it break down? And now what are the health implications and what are the environmental implications as a result of this? Is this a, a degree program that people can actually uh, yes. get in this type of disaster response, that kind of thing, so emergency response? we have the degree at the University of Finley is Environment, Safety, Health, and Sustainability. So that's it's a four-year program, and it goes through things like you have anatomy, physiology, we have policy, we have um, management. But as part of that four-year program, right, a four-year degree, you're able to take those all-hazards training courses, which gives you those certificates, which gives you the training to be able to really – once you graduate, get to industry, get to places even, you know, working with railway, um, working as policymakers, lawmakers. We have people in law. We have people in public health. Really, this is a nice broad degree for anybody um, interested in environment, interested in health and safety to really go off and do amazing things. And, and they can hit the ground running. And they, it really gives them a leg up being able to be partnered with All Hazards Training Center. And uh, beyond the degree program, you mentioned that you uh, planned on, on meeting with uh, officials in that area. Uh, you know, and you've got that coming up just uh, as luck would have it, I, I guess. Uh, that may not be the so time. I, I wouldn't say it's me. I would say it's John Kaser but, and, and All Hazards Training Center, but they are going to be meeting yeah. yeah so you actually do aside from the degree programs mm -hmm. uh associated with the university of finley uh training and and a certification program that is available for uh communities and that kind of thing absolutely so our yeah. even our first responders go through all hazards training center they have partnerships with um various first responders as well as industries such as uh, pepsico um, I believe Owens Corning, and they travel around the world to really train hmm. everybody and and around the you know around the nation for sure. And although it's kind of a, a separate entity, it's a nice way that we are able to link and um, be still be housed as part of the university as well. So they kind of do their own thing, but at the same time, we have access to that, and our students have access to that, and first responders and industry has access to that. So they have training courses all year long. Um, they have a list on their website, and so you can either come to their facility or they can come to you. Yeah, it's and like I said, I would imagine that after something like this hits the news, uh, that there's probably an uptick in interest. There's right, definitely an uptick like in interest, and I think they've gotten some calls, so that's really good. Yeah, yeah. because, you know, again, especially when it re relates to railroad accidents, we don't think of this as modern technology, but then when you stop and think about it again, every place has railroad tracks and will for the foreseeable future. So, you know, even though this is not necessarily, you know, quote unquote, modern technology, it's still very integral to, you know, what we do and the way we transport goods in this country. So, yeah, it's always good to be prepared. We want to be proactive and not reactive. Absolutely. So these trainings um, and uh, the ability to even train our students at the university really gives our students a proactive um, mindset. Yeah. Uh, again, talking about uh, community preparedness and response for uh, something like the uh, massive uh, train derailment that we saw earlier this week in uh, eastern Ohio, uh, Dr. Kim Litchfeld is uh, Associate Professor and Chair of Environmental Safety and Occupational Health Management at the University of Findlay. Thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. So if you're a regular listener to this program, you know that we love the 4-H program on this show. Earlier this week, we were just talking with uh, Lauren Berner kitzler from the 4-H uh, uh, office here in Hancock County. We love 4-H. Uh, not only does it teach kids valuable life and even career skills, it builds leadership qualities and it does all of this. Uh, in ways that kids not only have fun, but a lot of times they end up learning uh, the things that this program imparts without even realizing how much they're getting out of it. You know, they're having so much fun, they're not even realizing 
just how much they are are learning. And here is a perfect case in point of that. So the traditional paradigm is adults teaching young people the things they know they need to know in order to be successful, right? That's how we usually think of it is the way it works. But the 4-H Tech Changemakers program flips that around by having teenagers teach the 21st century digital skills that we all know they are so proficient at, have the teenagers teaching these digital skills to adults in their communities. From tech knowledge that can broaden their everyday lives to skills that can lead to economic opportunity and workforce development. And it's the kids teaching the grown-ups. We are joined this morning by 4-H Changemaker National Ambassador Hannah Jones, she is from Adairsville, Georgia, and her 4-H County Extension educator, Allie Greiner. And Hannah, let me start with you. Tell us more about this program. Of course. So 4-H Tech Changemakers is empowering you to work closely with their community to bridge the digital divide. And that digital divide is the gap between those with digital literacy skills and those without. And I really want to put emphasis on that word community. At the heart of each 4-H Tech Changemaker, like me and my 4-H Tech Changemaker team here in Gordon County, is our love for our community and our passion for helping our community, because that's exactly what 4-H Tech Changemakers does. We're always working with stakeholders, people in our workforce, and legislators all in our community to make the best better. Now, Allie, we've talked before with our local 4-H uh, advisors and extension educators and with 4-H members uh, in the past. And so we know uh, how this program, uh, it, how 4-H in general uh, is aimed at, I mean, building strong uh, young members of the community. Obviously, this is a program that has great benefits for the older people who are, are learning these new skills. Talk a little bit about why this is so important for the younger generations, what they get out of this. Sure. So our teens are growing up in this digital world. They have those tech-savvy skills, those digital skills that they're teaching. What they also learn as a part of this program for those young people is leadership skills. They learn how to present a workshop, how to uh, do public speaking, how to engage a learner, and how to um, create enthusiasm around the topic. And because they have that knowledge, they're currently still in a classroom and are learning how to learn. They know how to engage older youth or older adults, mm -hmm. um, and really any old adult. It could be any working age adults, and they're they know what it's like to be a learner. And so they want to make sure those classes are fun and enjoyable. Um, and so it gives them, a, it empowers them to be able to deliver those classes well. So how does this program work from kind of an organizational standpoint? Sure. So 4-H Tech Changemakers is a partnership between the National 4-H Council, the land-grant universities within each state, which houses the extension and 4-H offices, and corporate partners, Verizon, Microsoft, and Tractor Supply Company. And those land-grant universities, those extension and 4-H offices, have that integral role because they are in their communities. They know their community. Um, they have those long-standing relationships, and they're able to tailor those programs, like this 4-H Tech Changemaker program, to meet the local needs, so where that digital divide exists in their community and provides opportunities to better both the individual's economic well-being and the community as a whole, using the resources that come from National 4-H Council and those corporate partners. Now, Hannah, when you got involved uh, in this initially, I would imagine it's real easy to see the benefit to the adults that you are teaching, uh, you know, these skills so that they can communicate with their kids, their grandkids and, and so on and, you know, stay in touch and, you know, get the most out of, you know, everything that the digital universe offers. I would imagine that it only came afterward where you look at the broader picture, as we mentioned, uh, the economic and workforce benefits uh, that come out of this for uh, for these adults and for the community at large. Yes, of course. So through this program, adults are learning digital employability skills based on the needs in their community. And this can help them advance in their career or another career opportunity down the road. And in my community, we are a rural community. This is especially important because our goal is to have a strong local workforce 
where people can continue to live and thrive there. That's what the community wants as a whole. And Forge Tech Changemakers accomplishes just that. And an example of this to kind of paint you a picture is a workshop that we like to teach here in my county called Canva for Educators. And Canva is a graphic design platform that is beneficial to both teachers and students. For teachers, when they take this class, it enhances their digital content creation skills. And then as they move on and teach it to their students, it helps their students be more engaged in the classroom because there's such an uprising interest of graphic design. So it really is a win-win on both sides here. Has this, again, one of the things that we've talked about uh, any number of times with other 4-H uh, members in our own community is how often the things that they get involved with 4-H um, influences their own career path. Is that the case for you with uh, this program? Has this had, had that kind of an impact uh, on on you uh, in your plans for your future? A hundred percent, yes. 4-H Tech Changemakers have taught me so many life school skills, leadership, public speaking, being compassionate for others, being a good teacher. And those are all skills that I'll be able to use for my whole lifetime. And if I, I have a particular interest in marketing and government, and those are things mm. where you need to have people skills and sure. technology skills, which is exactly what 4-H Tech Changemakers delivers to youth and that you learn as you grow in this program. So I'm very thankful for 4-H Tech Changemakers on that level, and I'm just so happy that I can give back and be a national spokesperson so I can spread that message. Very cool. Well, we certainly wish you the best of luck. Again, uh, Hannah Jones is a for- national 4-H Changemaker, national ambassador uh, from Adairsville, Georgia, uh, along with uh, 4-H County Extension educator Allie Greiner. Allie, uh, how do folks learn more about this program? Sure. So to learn more about the 4-H Tech Changemaker program and all the great work that's going on in communities across the nation, you can visit 4-H.org slash TCM. Um, and that'll give a list of where all of the work is happening. You can find a community near you with that program and all of the resources to be uh, able to start a program or continue one um, in your area. Very cool. We will link that up on our webpage as well. Thank you both for taking the time this morning. We appreciate it. Well, thank you, thank for you so us. much for having us. We are getting into the final stretch of the high school basketball regular season. Hardly seems possible. Didn't we just get started? And now we're putting the finishing touches on the season. Earlier this week on the Coach's Corner, fill-in host Tim Montgomery spoke with Trojans assistant coach Ray Elbin for a preview of this weekend's games against St. Francis and Tiffin Columbian. Coming off of uh, two wins last weekend, coach, and anytime you beat Fremont, it's a good day. Yes, especially up there. I mean, you never know what you're walking into. We hope the game went the way it did, but we've gone up there before and and it hasn't. So, yeah, we did what we had to do that night and, and got out of there with a win and then uh, down to Elida, who's only got a seven or eight win season going. They're a little weaker than we've been used to on our schedule. And uh, we did what we had to do there, too. We we played uh, good defense, and uh, they, so did they, but uh, we played a little better defense, and they had some trouble scoring. Well, that's what I was going to say. The defense was in the premium on the Saturday game. Right. As the, and, and, you know, sometimes when there's slow offensive starts, sometimes it's a slow offensive start. But right. sometimes, as you point out, it can just be – it can also be good defense. Yeah, they were – and, and they were they're strong kids, physical kids, physical guards. And, uh, yeah, it did, give us some, it did give us some trouble. But, you know, one thing about this team is we've played pretty good defense all year, even – even losing those back-to-back tough games with Whitmer and St. John's, uh, you know, they were four or five-point games in, in the 30s. And uh, they play good defense, too, but we, we've been consistently a pretty good defensive team. Transition that into this week. It's another doubleheader. St. Francis on Friday, Columbian on uh, Saturday evening. And uh, let's start with the Knights. Uh, an an unusual team uh, when you watch them, at least to me. Uh, you guys, of course, handled the first matchup without too awful much trouble uh, at their place. 
But after that, they go and handle to, uh, Central, Central Catholic, Catholic mm-hmm. in a fashion, and have been playing better since they that point. Everybody for most since then. And uh, but they're also playing a lot of young kids. Like he starts off with his varsity, but then he brought in kids off the JVs yeah. and the younger kids, and those younger kids yeah. look very talented. Yeah. Well, I mean, look what they did, you know, to our JV team up there, and uh, and then of course that night things did go our way. We had control of that game, and he brought you know some of them in and. And they've been doing that ever since, and, and they've been very competitive. You know, it'd be nice to think that we could do what we did up there, but I expect a much, much tougher game this time out. And they're playing a lot of zone now. And, you know, when you play a team that throws up a zone, you better be able to shoot it. And, you know, some nights we can, and other nights we've had some, some struggles. Well, and just like it's important for you as we're closing out the regular season and people are looking ahead, the draw has been made. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, You know where you stand with that. Everybody's looking to get things going in the right direction right. into that. So you know you're going to definitely get everybody's best shot here. Yeah, and looking at our draw with Anthony Wayne and looking at ending the season with St. Francis, Lima, and Columbia, and I mean, our, 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 we have to be ready every time out uh, because all those teams can beat you if you're not at the top of your game. Tiff and Columbian, always uh, a tough team, and uh, they're the number two seed. You guys yeah. are the number five, so maybe this is the first of a two-matchup kind of situation. Well, it could happen, but, you know, they have to get by St. John's right. first. And, and, and uh, talk about a team that plays defense. I mean, that's, that's going to be a battle for them. But, you know, they are talented enough. It, it wouldn't surprise me that they handled St. John's. I mean, they have a lot of weapons. The guy who makes them go, Logan Beeston, 19 points a game, seven rebounds a game, and four, almost five assists a game. He really is that do-it-all kind of player. Well, he's, you know, he's, he's been probably a 19 or 20-point scorer since his sophomore year. But he's grown up with the games. His, you know, uncles have coached and he knows the game, and that's what makes him a good passer. And he's got some uh, he's got some help with uh, uh, his teammates, and they're good players. And you know, when you have all those weapons, you know it's tough to take one of them away. So they're uh, one of the deeper teams you're going to face this yeah, year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're 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 good. They're talented and skilled. Tim Montgomery with uh, Findlay assistant coach Ray Elbin previewing the Trojans' weekend games uh, against St. Francis and Tiffin Columbian. Again, the final stretch here, the regular season, both of those games can be heard right here on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com, and 95.5 FM. Home versus the Knights tonight and on the road against the Tornadoes tomorrow. Airtime both evenings right around 7.15 here on WFIN. Across the rest of our family of stations, we have BBC action tonight on 100.5 WKXA. Liberty Benton is at Riverdale. And over on 106.3, the Fox, Ottawa Glandorf Titans taking on Defiance and Lexington tonight and tomorrow. And you can follow all of the area action live and in real time on the WFIN scoreboard page. Powered by ScoreStream and presented by Owens Community College, we've got the link up at our webpage at goodmornings.net. You're listening to Good Mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com, and 95.5 FM. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Now, the first thing that I thought of when I heard this story uh, happened in in Memphis. Uh, Police... In Memphis, say, on Wednesday at a Checkers fast food uh, restaurant. You're familiar with Checkers, right? Uh, At a Checkers uh, location on Poplar Avenue in Memphis, a fast food employee, well, a customer uh, asked a a fast fast food employee at uh, Checkers to remake an order of fries. He said, hey, my fries are cold. These are old fries. I want fresh fries. Um. The employee refused. Uh, then an, a verbal, verbal argument ensued when the employee pulled out a gun on the customer. <laughs> That's a way to de-escalate the situation. Um, no one was injured. The uh, fast food employee is now facing assault charges. Uh, for pulling a gun on the customer. I'm thinking now, when I first heard the story, I thought that was a massive overreaction to someone asking 
just for fresh fries. But on the other hand, after I thought about it, you know how many uh, stories there have been of fast food workers getting beat up and assaulted and even shot themselves over stupid stuff like this in the news. And uh, I'm thinking maybe it wasn't so much of an overreaction, given some of the uh, stories we've had in the past. (laughs) But I, I would imagine, you know, if that's one of the things that when you go to an establishment, whether it's a fast food restaurant or a store or what have you, and um, and you want to log a complaint, you don't expect to be staring down the barrel of a gun from customer service. It's one way to deal with the Karens of the world, I suppose, uh, but probably not the best way. Uh, elsewhere in the uh, broken news, uh, this is... <laughs> This is the downside of it. Well, I guess it's not a downside. They did find this, but uh, but uh, it's not. I don't know if you would consider yourself a squeamish person. Uh, you might want to think twice about using sonar technology when fishing. Uh, this is in North Carolina's Lake Norman. A fisherman was using sonar to find schools of fish, right? Uh, on the lake, but inse- instead of finding what he was looking for, he discovered what happened to be, what turned out to be, a woman who went missing 15 years ago. Here's the story. The unidentified fisherman said his sonar showed what appeared to be a submerged car in the lake, and when he saw that, he called police. The vehicle was extracted on Wednesday, and authorities say it belonged to a woman who vanished in 2008. Uh, They did say that human remains were found inside the 1996 Ford Thunderbird. Testing is underway to definitively determine the identity. And uh, police say that uh, the whole thing remains under investigation. They don't know if foul play was involved, but uh, family has been alerted and this potential development in the case. Can you imagine? You're going that's that's like something out of you know a a cop show on TV. You know like the uh, opening segment of like NCIS or something where they you know guys go in fishing and suddenly finds a submerged car in the lake uh on his fish finder. Human remains inside. That's crazy that that would happen. But. Uh let's see. From the <laughs> International file of the broken news. This is a little odd. The city of Chongqing, China, has created an elite unit of six drug-sniffing squirrels. <laughs> drug-sniffing squirrels. When I first saw this, I had to read that again to make sure that I had it right. They are considered a, a, a subunit, an offshoot of the Dog Brigade. The police claim that the squirrels are small, agile, and capable of searching hard-to-reach places where the dogs can't go. Well, I guess that does make sense. And, they say, squirrels do have an acute sense of smell. Uh, Now, obviously, they're not as easy to train as dogs, um, but they, I guess, have figured this out. Yin Jin is trainer of the squirrel squad. And he said, uh, in the past, we've had problems training small rodents, but we have developed a program uh, that uh, seems to be working. So, six drug-sniffing squirrels. Now, before you laugh, keep in mind that in 2002, the Pentagon, our own Pentagon, attempted to use bees to detect bombs. So, Ed... Uh, bomb-sniffing bees of our own. So we've tried some pretty far-out ideas as well. (laughs) Drug-sniffing squirrels. Okay. Uh, Back to this country. The broken news. In Tennessee, a woman is facing charges (laughs) after using some funny money to buy a BMW. Uh, Shantia Blackwell reportedly arranged to buy the vehicle from a seller on Facebook Marketplace and used fake $100 bills for the 
$1,700 purchase. Now, first of all, somebody's selling a BMW for $1,700. I'd be wondering about them. <laughs> you know, is that vehicle hot? Is there something going on there? But it turned out uh, when the victim took the money to the bank, the next day it was discovered that they were prop bills used in movies. <laughs> uh Apparently, though, uh, either police knew or familiar with Ms. Blackwell or she gave the victim her actual address. Either way, they caught up with her and she is now facing counterfeiting and forgery charges. Probably had to give back the car, I imagine. A couple of other items in the broken news here. A pink pigeon is being cared for. After being rescued by a good Samaritan in uh, Madison Square Park, New York City, wildlife officials say it appears the domestic king pigeon was deliberately dyed pink and then released. Uh, the nonprofit wildlife rehab center Wild Bird Fund is now caring for the bird. The group says being an unusual color makes the uh, makes the bird even more of a target. Uh, of predators, so it would be unlikely to survive on its own. Um, it was not immediately clear why the bird was dyed pink, but they believe that it was part of a gender reveal party. Now, there we go. There's gender reveal parties. Uh, getting people in trouble again. Can we just stop with those? Um, you know, just open an envelope or something, you know, I mean, dying birds pink. And, uh, finally with Valentine's day coming up, how about this? Uh, you, you know, what is it? The, uh, zoo, is it in Texas someplace or in Atlanta or is it Detroit? And it's some, some zoo that does this name a cockroach for an X thing around Valentine's day. Well, the San Antonio zoo <laughs> is taking it one step further. You can name a roach or a rodent after your ex for Valentine's Day and then watch it be fed to the lions. <laughs> That's taking it to a whole nother level. Donors can contribute to the zoo's Crimea Cockroach event and have a digital card emailed to your ex letting them know that their namesake Vermin has been fed to the lions. <laughs> uh, it's $10 to name a roach, $25 to name a rodent, and $150 to let your ex know what you've done. <laughs> and by the way, they even have a vegan option. You can spend $5 to feed greens to herbivores instead. So there you go if you are so inclined for Valentine's Day. That is today's broken news report. An update on the odd and unusual side of the headlines. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. InfoTrack is the weekly show with information you should know. Hi, I'm Chris Whitting. Each week, our InfoTrack team of reporters brings you fascinating, informative stories about topics and issues that matter most. Stories delivered in a fast-paced format. That's InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. InfoTrack on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com, and 95.5 FM. Time now for your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. So we were talking about how, you know, teenagers today are very uh, proficient in those uh, in the digital world, all those digital technology skills and and all of that to the point where, you know, there's even a 4-H program that has kids teaching adults about those uh, types of digital technology skills. But there are still areas where kids need some guidance from their parents, no matter how proficient they are, um, there is... uh, some reason to be concerned. And this is an interesting survey. Um, They talked to a thousand parents of 16 year olds who regularly watch online streaming content created by content creators. You know, there's social media influencers and content creators 
uh, that make a living doing this. And the way they make a living is not just through online advertising, but also by solicitating, uh, soliciting donations. And this survey of 1,000 parents, 16-year-olds who watch online streaming content, found that 17% of those kids gave cash to influencers and content creators. 17%. 11% of those parents discovered that their child gave money to these influencers and streamers without their knowledge. Uh, 57% of parents didn't even know that kids could give funds to content creators uh, using things like, uh, uh, well, most of all, it's like Venmo and, and you know payment, things like that. Um, of the kids who did not ask for permission before donating, some of the reasons why they did that was because they knew their parents would say no, they said, so they didn't tell their parents, or they assumed that it was okay to do because the bank information was already saved in the, in the app, the Venmo app or what have you. Kids as young as six as young as age six, said that it was fun to give away money online. And that really grabbed my attention. Uh, fun to give money away online is what they said. Uh, parents polled seemed willing to allow their kids to donate to streamers, but uh, in moderation, maybe uh, once or twice a month or something like that, and placing a limit on it. But... Uh, this is something that you may want to be aware of just so that you can kind of set some rules, some guardrails uh, for your kids. As proficient as they are, they still need some guidance uh, from their parents. So point well taken there. Now my wife Kyra joins us in the studio with another collection of recipes from Kyra's Kitchen for the Super Bowl this week and yes. we don't have to we don't have to ask which team you're rooting for. <laughs> <laughs> Go cheese. <laughs> All right, so we get that out of the way. We just get that out of the way right now. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So a uh, special uh, collection of recipes that are perfect for your Super Bowl party, or if you want to hang on to them for your March Madness party, uh, or you yeah, you know whatever it might happen to be, whatever. Uh, yep. Any uh, any fun gathering, you know, yep. whatever. So really uh, easy, yeah, easy and really yummy. I like yeah. these. Uh, we had these the other night, the meatball mozzarella sliders. Yes, yeah, really good. So twelve brigio uh, slider rolls. Uh, 12 meatballs. Um, you can use frozen or your own fresh ones. Uh, Three-fourths cups of marinara sauce, 12 slices of mozzarella cheese. Um, for the garlic butter, it's a half a cup of butter melted, one teaspoon of dried parsley, quarter teaspoon of dried basil, quarter teaspoon of kosher salt, and one teaspoon of garlic powder. So preheat your oven to 350 degrees. Um, make the garlic butter by combining all the ingredients and um, mix that well. And then you can just set that aside. Uh, arrange the rolls uh, in a sheet pan uh, using a utility knife. Uh, cut um, just like uh, somewhat of a hole in the middle right. of of each year you one. Carve out yeah, a, a carve hole out there. a little hole for for the meatball. If you're making your own meatballs, which I did, I used that top part for my meatballs um, instead of using... Oh, because you yeah. use the bread to mm -hmm. get it all to right. stick together. Yes. Okay. So I, oh, used, okay. I used the all bread. Right. Sure. So, so it didn't waste it. So, But you don't have to do that. I mean, you can do it however you want. So, uh, Well, then, that certainly makes sense. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yep. So then brush the tops and sides of um, the whole of each of the rolls uh, with the garlic butter. Uh, kind of evenly around, all make it all gooey, gooey, yummy in the middle, <laughs> on the sides, everything. Right. Then bake for about six to eight minutes uh, to toast the roll. Then remove from the oven. Put your meatball in the center of the hole. Mm -hmm. Then top with um, top the meatballs with some of your marinara, marinara sauce. 
cover with your mozzarella cheese slices and bake for 20 to 25 minutes or until the meatballs are hot and cheesy and in the middle. So ready to go. Like you said, you can do your own meatballs. Mm-hmm. You could actually use the pre-bought meatballs, but Correct. you really uh, need to, I mean, doing your own is, is better because right. you can make them the right size right. to fit in the holes because, mm-hmm. you know, otherwise, mm-hmm. you know. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, so anyway, just my two cents worth on it. They yeah. are yummy. They yeah. are really yummy. So the uh, meatball mozzarella sliders there. To go along with that, you have a baked cream cheese block. Yes. Hmm. So okay. a, so I'm doing this for the Super Bowl for us. For so, our Super Bowl yes, party. for our okay. party. Right. So eight ounce cream cheese block, olive oil, two to three uh, tablespoons of barbecue rub or your favorite rub or seasoning that you have, um, some honey, a half a cup of shredded cheddar cheese and everything bagel seasoning if you want. You don't have to do that. Uh, so place a brick of cream cheese in the freezer for about 15 minutes. Um, this will make sure that the cheese is is less sticky uh, to handle while you're uh, getting it prepped. So preheat your oven 225 degrees. Line a small pan with a foil, with some foil. Grease the bottom with some olive oil. Um, unwrap the cream cheese block uh, from the package. Place it on in the pan. Make like crisscross slices with your knife mm-hmm. and uh, top the cream cheese, or I'm sorry, then coat the cream cheese with olive oil and then sprinkle with your, with your seasoning and place um, place in your preheated oven for one hour. Okay. So, and then you're going to drizzle it on, after it's all done, you're going to drizzle, if you want, you can drizzle your honey on it, your shredded cheese, um, put your everything bagel sneezing on it, whatever you wish, and then serve immediately with some crackers. Okay, so uh, if you don't freeze it, right. and as you mentioned, it's a great hack, so right. you can work with it, you right. know, freeze it. Yeah. If you don't do that, you probably don't want to put it in the oven for an hour, right? right? Well, I know because you kind of want it to get all ooey gooey. So yeah. I would maybe not quite an hour, but I would you're watch still it gonna, yeah, I'd yeah. watch it closer. Yeah. But so, and yeah. you don't want to leave it in the freezer too long because like right. you were saying, you got to slice it with a right. knife and if it's, yeah. <laughs> if it's too frozen, yeah. Yeah. then yeah. Just so, enough, just enough. It's just only enough. 15 okay. minutes. All right. So, so just something, yeah. you know, I just thought I would, I can tell you more after I do it. <laughs> <laughs> or if you try it and yes, you know, you have it, Please let us know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, log that on in our Facebook page. And, yes, uh, share your thoughts. The, other, on the that. other thing you can do with this is you can you can put it on your grill in the summertime or Ooh. in your smoker if you okay. have a smoker grill. All right, um, All right. and give it that smoky taste. Yeah, also. so hang so. on, hang on to that for mm-hmm. your uh, family for gatherings the, in the summertime. Yep. And then uh, for dessert, we have Super Bowl chocolate chip cookies. Yeah. Now, how are these different than any other chocolate chip cookies? Let me. I you okay. will hear All just right. in a few okay. minutes. All so, right. honey. Super Bowl. I, I'm just I'm just saying Super Bowl <laughs> chocolate. Yes. You can just put the word Super Bowl no, in front of a recipe no. and so, make it a Super Bowl recipe. So it's one cup <laughs> a, one cup of softened butter, uh-huh. one cup of granulated sugar, a half a cup of brown sugar, two eggs, two teaspoons of vanilla, one teaspoon of baking soda, half a teaspoon of salt, two and three-fourths cups of all-purpose flour, one bag of chocolate chips, and then food coloring. Which In your, ta- in tr- in your, your team's, team's, team's colors. Yes, so red right. and yellow. All right. <laughs> so cream the, cream the brown, uh, cream the butter, uh, add your brown sugar and your and your regular sugar in the mixer. Then add your eggs and your villa vanilla and mix that until it's nice and fluffy. Then add your baking soda, your salt to the mix. Then add the flour a little bit at a time until it's com- completely incorporated. Then separate the cookie dough into th- into three equal uh, portions. Then use the food coloring of your favorite team mm-hmm. so to color two bowls of the dough. So, like, if you're Kansas City Chiefs, one would be red and one would be yellow. <laughs> right. <laughs> then add your chocolate chips. Mix that after you mix it in your um, your coloring. Then add your chocolate chips. Mix that in. Then um, to all three of them. Then cr- take a little bit from each one of them. So take a little bit uh, from one, a little bit from the red, a little mm-hmm. bit from the yellow, a li- little bit from the plain. Make a cookie. And then okay. smash it down, and then it'll be your team's so colors. So you've got a 
Yes, so it'll be a multicolor cookie. Uh-huh. So, and then um, you're going to place each of the balls on a cookie sheet, bake um, at 350 for eight to 10 minutes or until golden brown around the edges. All right, there you go. Yes. So, uh, the meatball mozzarella sliders, the baked cream cheese block, and the Super Bowl chocolate chip cookies yes. for your Super Bowl party. And again, all of those recipes are on the Kyra's Kitchen Facebook page at Kyra's Kitchen WFIN on Facebook and uh, linked up at goodmornings.net if you want to check those out. And. My wife, Kyra, with us uh, this morning with her Super Bowl recipes. Kai, thanks very much. You're welcome. Go ahead, say it. Go Chiefs! (laughs) And and that will finish up our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. And remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the program at our webpage. And that, of course, goodmornings.net. Coming up Monday, we'll get a complete recap of Super Bowl 57, the big plays, the big moments, and of course, the big commercials that everyone is buzzing about after the big game. So until Monday morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day, a great weekend. We'll catch you back here next week.